Content and trigger warning. This episode discusses subjects of burnout, self-care, self-harm, suicide, and mental health. This is Defender Radio. I'm Michael Howie, and this is Defender Radio, the podcast for wildlife advocates and animal lovers, brought to you by the Fur Bearers. This week we're talking about self-care and burnout, and that means difficult conversations regarding mental health, self-harm, suicide, and what it looks like to ask for help. If you need immediate help because you're feeling you may harm yourself or others, please contact emergency services in your area. If you're in Canada, visit talksuicide.ca or call 1-833-456-4566 to connect with crisis responders. That's talksuicide.ca or 1-833-456-4566. The content of this episode is not and should not be considered therapy or a replacement for speaking to a healthcare professional about mental health. A number of links to resources by province are available in the show notes for this episode at DefenderRadio.com. If you're not able to listen to this episode right now, don't. It's really, really okay. I promise. I recently connected with Stephanie McMahon, a registered psychotherapist in Ontario who happens to also be a Wildlife Rehabilitation Centre volunteer to talk about what burnout is and how it impacts individuals what clearing space for self-care looks like, and how we can all ask for help when we need it. We talk a lot about self-care in the animal welfare, animal rights movements, in people who are involved with frontline work of any kind, whether it is with people or with animals. And I feel like there's a lot of still mixed messaging in the world about what self-care is and what burnout is. Uh, I think they're two words that get used with a lot of frequency, but maybe don't carry the weight at times that they need to. Is there sort of straightforward definitions or, or ways of looking at those two terms that are helpful for when we need to have these conversations? Yes and no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a complicated answer. Um, So self-care looks different for everybody. And often people think it looks like um, more stuff on the to-do list. Yes. Oh, I need to take a bath and I need to relax and I need to do this and I need to do that. Um, So it feels very isolating for a lot of people Mm -hmm. because it's like, oh, well, you just need to take better care of yourself and everybody else is fine. It's not the way it works. So there's not really a straightforward answer for that. Um, It depends on the person Mm -hmm. and what they kind of recharge. Okay. That makes, that makes sense though, that it it is the recovery from burnout effectively, or from any kind of place that isn't great. If you're not, you know, if you've injured yourself physically, that is a type of self-care, right? If I bang my knee up and it needs care, it's still self-care if I take care of it and I ice it and whatnot. And if I emotionally need care, it's still self-care. So maybe we just sort of, we look at it that way, right? It's the thing that makes you better. Yeah. Um, that's a high, I am sure the DSM is uh, like the committee is sitting around taking notes right now. It's like, they finally cracked it. <laughs> uh, and burnout. Like, yeah. uh, I feel like burnout is, depends on the person. 
because <laughs> it looks a lot like depression, right? It can, yeah. So yeah, again, compassion fatigue, and where does where do you draw the line between burnout, and compassion fatigue? Where do you draw the line between burnout and depression? A lot of them are very similar. And you know, I feel like it's it's actually it's it is both amusing, and I I apologize to everyone for for that for both of us giggling, but that's how both of us deal with the I think insanity of the world at times, and we are friends, and this is. It's a fun chat nonetheless. Um, but burnout, yeah, I mean, it, it's another one of those. It's just being in that place where you don't have gas in the tank anymore sometimes. Or you you keep getting, for me, I know when I was younger, I would physically get sick frequently mm -hmm. um, because I wasn't taking care of myself physically or emotionally. And that was sort of just what my body did uh, at this point in my life when I am burning out. And again, I think anyone who works in, actually, I think anyone, any human being can experience it. I think some of us who work in fields like welfare or advocacy, where we have a lot of exposure to a lot of complex and traumatic events, it may be more common or something we talk more about. But regardless, for me, burnout at this point in my life often will feel like somewhere between that depression and despair and then depersonalization. That's the one for me when I start feeling that, that's when I know it's like, okay, it's, you know, that's, that feels like my body's red flag uh, or, or flare up in the air. And it's taken me a long time to learn to listen to that uh, and identify it for what it is. But I guess sort of the, the, the simple answer to the really complex question is everybody can burn out. Uh, everybody can hit a wall, everybody can run out of gas, and everybody has unique things that will help them recover from that. Uh, and something you said right off the top that I'd love to talk more about, uh, because someone recently said this to me, is that self-care feels like just another thing to do. Exactly the way you said it. I have never in my life heard someone say that before, and I've had two people now say it to me within like several hours of each other. Uh, could you talk more about that? What's that? What, what does that mean to someone or to others if we hear it? Right. So if you're feeling you're feeling burnt out, you're feeling tired, you're exhausted, you're irritated, you're irritated, you don't want to do it anymore, your <laughs> tank is empty, then mm -hmm. somebody comes up to you and says, Well, you just need to relax. Okay, how effective is yeah. that? How how does that work its way into your life? You're like, Yeah, I of course I need to relax, but I also have 800 things to do. So how do you propose I do that? And someone will say, well, I don't know, take a bubble bath. Okay, well, that, that sounds like another thing that I don't have time for. So if you're already overwhelmed, you don't feel like you have time for anything, let alone things that are just additional things. You need to exercise, you need to eat better, you need to, and it's always you need to do this. Yeah. You need to take a break. I don't have time for a break. Yeah. I just have to keep giving because if I stop, then I get backed up and then I'm already tired. So it's just another thing. Why would I do, why would I add more to my plate when I already feel like my plate is overflowing? So it needs to come from a place of not more stuff to do, but less stuff to do. So it's almost a little bit of prioritizing in a, in a way of uh, what, what needs to happen right now and what, uh, you know, what can wait, what can someone else do or, or so on? Is it asking yourself questions like that? Or is it, is it saying, nope, today is my day, the world doesn't exist. I am not getting out of bed and I am staying under the covers forever. Depends on the person. Mm -hmm. If that's what fills your cup, right? If you're like every so often, I just unplug, yep. unplug for the day, done. 
then I feel better and I can go about my day, then that's fine. The other part of that is looking into what do I have on my plate that I can take off mm-hmm. or what should be on here that's not on here? What do I feel guilty about not having on here? Yes, that's a big one. And that that for, again, for me, when I have felt this way, when I have talked to others who have felt that way, that guilt, again, particularly in a world of advocacy, particularly with animals or children or anything like that with caregiving, I think that guilt also then has a pair of adorable eyes at times. Um, is there, and, and, and I'm going to say this in a very simplistic way, but is there a, a trick? Is there a, a tool that is accessible that can help us sort of snap out of some of that or challenge ourselves? Or is this the kind of thing where we need to really spend time working through it and, and taking it apart with someone like a therapist? I'll never not recommend therapy for people who do this kind of work mm-hmm. only because it's so draining Yeah. Um, or it can be very draining if you don't know how to balance it because there's just so much to be done that you always feel like you're never going to get caught up. There's so much to do, you can't stop. And if you stop, then you feel guilty because, well, I should be working on resolving this issue. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, yeah, I can sit here and zone out to Netflix, but I'll feel bad about it. So I might as well just continue writing my letters and continue planning this protest, continue doing this, continue doing that because those things make me feel like I'm creating this change I want to see. Yeah. But there's a, a peak performance kind of level to that. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's, you know, it's it's sort of the, the bandwidth or uh, everybody has, and I know there's about a gazillion different metaphors for this and analogies, but, you know, whether it's your spoons or your cups or your buckets of water or you know, your rubber duckies, whatever your your thing is, we do all have very much just a limited and a finite capacity to exist and to work and to push ourselves. And that's hard to remember in that moment, I think, sometimes too, of feeling overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And in the advocacy field, it's hard to pull away from, you know, the drive to make change because it feels like everybody's doing this all the time. Yep. Because when you try to unplug and you turn on Facebook, well, this agency is doing this and this one's doing this and this person's saying this and this dog needs help and this cat needs help and this whatever. There's always more that can be done. So then you feel guilty for taking that time out to recharge. Yeah. And there's an analogy I've heard many times that I think is still useful. And that's of the um, oxygen mask on, a, on an airplane. And that for me, that lesson is one that I, uh, it's, it's not quite on my wall yet. It's working its way up to being on the wall, but it's one that I do remind myself of frequently. Um, again, it's one that in what we do in terms of trying to help is so hard to remember sometimes. And that's, if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of others. Yeah. You don't have the, you won't have the capacity. And that's um, where you do see people get negative and get cynical and get that kind of emotional numbness, helpless feeling. And they do get to these dark places because if you give too much and you have nothing left to give, you have no energy left and the demand is still there. It's a very hopeless feeling. Yeah, that is. And again, I think that's for me is always the hard thing to remember. And it's the the thing 
that's I think is probably true of anyone who experiences anything is that at some times that feeling it feels like it's going to be forever it feels like this this negativity this 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 loss this fear this anger whatever it is is going to last forever and that can then start a cycle all on its own where it's well i can't do anything because what's the point in doing anything and therefore not doing self-care but also not necessarily offloading things in a healthy way but just feeling like you can't offload and feeling like you can't do self-care and so on and so forth and i know the answer already is it's different for everybody but um are there again is it are there general tools or ways we can talk about some of that stuff that can help us break out of a cycle so when it is feeling you know for me i'll talk depersonalization or numbness the physical sensations of my body kind of being slightly disconnected as a bit of a my brain saying nope we're done for a while um is there opportunities to sort of try and i don't want to say flip that but recognize it and then go okay and now this is the next step and break that cycle yeah and i think the first step is recognizing when you're falling into that trap of the hopeless and what's the point i, I think that's that's maybe one of the more dangerous kind of stages in it is the what's the point yeah hopeless stage nothing i do matters anyway so what's the point um and I'll, I'll tell people to start small, recognize, okay, what is good about right this second? So let's, you know, you're immersed in negative all day. Now we need to balance it out. And at the end of the day, everything's about balance, whether it's self-care, whether it's managing the work stress, managing the volunteer stress, all of that. Um, it's all about balance. So if you're immersed in something that's very heavy, very negative all day, where do you balance that out? So find the alternative, the other balance. Okay, well, if we lost something, when's, when's the last time we had a good win? Did anybody else have a good win today? I just like a cup of coffee sometimes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so even just like, I'm going to sit here and just enjoy this coffee and this is good right now. Yep. So what is good in the moment, in right now? And sometimes you have to work really hard to find that when you're stuck in that cycle. And sometimes it's pulling away from the negativity or the the work that you do for a period of time you you know you go and you immerse yourself a little bit then you get out of it to balance that out and so having a hobby that's for animal advocates not animal related something that you do outside of the animal world rounding out that identity a bit because it's easy to get trapped in this i'm an animal person i'm an animal advocate i'm this i'm that i'm whatever this is who I am. And if you don't round that out, you, you kind of get sucked into this. This is what I do. This is where I need to be all the time. Mm -hmm. And that starts to feel true. Within the animal advocacy community, I think, and I think other industries as well, we, we galvanize people for pushing too hard. We, we reward them for sacrificing their personal time or their own money or their own health for this greater cause. And while I think it's important to, to respect and honor the work people do, we also have to be aware of the impact of that, of, of saying, oh, well, you know, we're going to, and, you know, we can break this down into dog behavior for my dog behavior friends of, you know, we are rewarding one behavior and ignoring a bunch of other ones. And if we only ever reward this one behavior, then we all think that that's the behavior worth doing. 
out of all of the other ones. And when, when that is pushing ourselves past the points of comfort or exhaustion and pushing ourselves through all of these other things, it, it, and we reward that, I think we're just, we're, we're really just reinforcing that this is some weird dark place that you have to exist if you're going to make change in the world. And I think that's something that we just generally as people and a society need to just stop, stop saying and stop uh, rewarding. Yeah. That, that rewarding, the kind of workaholic yeah. mentality of productivity is important. Productivity is the only thing that matters. Yeah. Yeah. But with that though, I, in, in creating that change, right? So I'm going to add to what we were just talking about mm -hmm. of rewarding productivity, rewarding the people who don't take time off or rewarding people who work the extra or the weekends yeah. or the whatever and never turn off by, by rewarding that behavior. You're saying, you know, you're, you're really good at doing this. Good job, blah, blah, blah. But we also need to reward the breaks. We also need to encourage stepping out of it. We also need to encourage, yeah, let's go for, you know, a walk or whatever and somewhere we won't see dogs, somewhere we won't see cats, somewhere, you know, where it's, you know, there, there's certain areas where you can't avoid certain things, but something different. For sure. So if you're passionate about, I don't know, farm animal welfare, not going to a farm for a fun day out, not going to the farm sanctuary, not going to the whatever, and, and farm sanctuaries are great places, but you want something completely out of that. And encouraging people to do that for sure and that's um yeah i i uh my group of friends uh we like to do a lot of improv together we do a lot of you know podcasts and stuff like that and everyone is so just bare bones honest at this point of you know hey we're all planning on getting together on friday after work i had a long week and i just need to sit at home and every single one of us goes awesome no problem let us know when you're coming to the like it's just yep that's okay it's okay to say i'm not going to make it tonight and you know maybe i really wanted to see this friend maybe it was important for me to go out but if that's what this person is saying they need we have to respect that we have to give them that space and that's i think how we we can help people heal in some ways too um is very much rewarding it as you've said right and keeping in mind the people who do this kind of work are very compassionate people they want to be good team members mm -hmm. they want to show up they want to help that's why they're in this to begin with because they not just not just feel bad about whatever the situation is but they actively want to help create change yeah. so for them to say i just need to sit this out is very hard for them to begin with and then to have somebody say oh no 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 just come just come yeah okay well fine i'll go right like okay, well, maybe that person's already at capacity and now is taking on more than they needed to because they felt like, well, I do want to help and I don't want to be seen as a bad, I don't know, team member or whatever. So making sure that you're respecting that and okay, you know, see you next time or whatever. Yeah, for sure. There's also other ways to help sometimes too of, all right, well, right now I can't be, you know, I can't carry the load back and forth from the garden to the, the wheelbarrow but I can bring everyone lemonade or, but, you know, I can make sure there's gas in the car. And that way the community garden, that's the analogy I'm using that I didn't introduce, still gets built. Um, it's, it's that kind of, I think sometimes just, yeah, okay, you can't play third base today. 
we still need a water guy or we still need someone to help everyone stretch or you can still cheer us on um, or, okay, enjoy your week and meet up with us in the next town over or whatever. There's always a way to just sort of accept that and keep finding a way forward. But sometimes it means too, um, taking on burdens ourselves. And that's for me sometimes is I'll take on everyone else's burdens because that makes me feel good that I'm helping. And then I have to say, okay, I've now taken on too many burdens and I can't. And that has probably been the hardest thing for me in the last year is that learning to say no to people or saying, this is how much I can help you. And then after that point, I can't help more. And that, that one's always a little heartbreaking because it's someone coming and asking for help with something. And you want to help people, especially if they're people you care about. But at the end of the day, I've got X amount of hours of work I can do. And then my brain needs a rest and my heart needs a rest. And if I don't have that rest, I can't do everything else. And it's just, I'm sorry, this is the limit today. And most people mm -hmm. I have found are actually pretty good about it when you clear, when you are able to clearly explain it, but it can still be scary and hard to try and do. Yes. And I think that's the reason a lot of people say yes, mm -hmm. rather than saying no, because they truly do want to help. So they'll overstep their own limits because I would like to say yes. I would like to be able to help. I would like to have the capacity to show up for all these people that I care about. And I don't want to upset them and I don't want them to think I don't care about them. And they're asking me for something and I, you know, I can't give that to you. Mm -hmm. And so I need to say no. And people have a really hard time with no because no feels kind of yucky yep. until you get used to saying it. So moms of the world unite. Um, I, I it's, it's Stephanie's laughing at that, everyone. Um, I, I need the laughter to be heard. Otherwise, there's a gap in my soul. <laughs> I muted myself. <laughs> um, it's very easy when you see someone who's having a hard time or who has said to you, I'm having a hard time, say, well, why don't you go for a walk or have that bubble bath? And we're talking about not being that guy, so to speak, and not just telling people to do mm -hmm. that because ultimately it's like telling an anxious person to calm down. And as an anxious person, I can point to the skeletons of those who have tried. Um, in those moments when it's, you're, you're having a hard time and you need some self-care, what is a better way for a friend or a colleague or, or anyone else to maybe try and be helpful? Sometimes people are able to identify what it is they need. So if they're saying, Hey, I need your help. Okay. What, what is it that you need? Right? Like trying to sort out rather than telling them what to do. Oh, well, I mean, just take a walk. You'll feel better. Just calm down. You'll feel better. <laughs> right? Like, mm -hmm. Don't get so stressed out and you'll feel better. Yeah. But if they come to you and they're saying, I'm having a hard time, maybe say, okay, is there anything that I can help with? Or what do you need help with? And seeing what it is that they're asking for. And sometimes people need to go to more than one person to ask for help because the first person they go to might not have capacity to have a conversation, to have coffee, to have whatever, Right you know, do you want to, do you want to talk? Do you want to have coffee together? Do you want to go for a walk? Do you want advice or do you want me to listen? Yes. That's a good question to ask. I have learned very aggressively by some people in my life as someone who likes to talk. Mm -hmm. So what is it that you're looking for? Do you, do you just want to vent or do you want solutions? Cause some people just really want to feel heard. Yeah. And if you have time to listen, that's all they need. They feel better. They go about their day. Yeah. It's pretty great sometimes too, just to be like, you're not going to believe what happened when I was driving today. And then someone to go, you're right. I don't believe it. That's crazy. 
and then you can move on. Even when I had my entire bank account drained via a food delivery app that I hadn't signed up for because that's the world we live in, uh, I got everything back, don't worry. But the person at the bank that I spoke with, like I had talked to 10 people, they were all being very dismissive and oh, don't worry and don't worry. And I finally talked to someone and five seconds in, they just said, yeah, look, that sounds terrible. I can't imagine dealing with that. Let me see what I can do for you. And my anger and frustration instantly went from a 95 to a 75 because all they said is, Mm -hmm. yep, that sucks. Yep. That's all I needed uh, was just someone to acknowledge it. And Mm -hmm. okay, crisis averted. Uh, Now I can come down from that and actually talk. Right. So I think that can be a very helpful position to take sometimes of, all right, what do you need? What, What do you need to hear? Or do you, you know... Do you want me to agree with you that everything is terrible? Because I can do that too. Right. Even if I don't maybe think it all is that terrible. And you might not, but just listening to what their truth is, is important. Mm -hmm. Because it might not be your truth. You might be like, well, I had a great day. I don't know what you're complaining about. But really their truth is the world sucks and it's horrible. And this is a really bad place to be right now. Tell me Mm -hmm. more. All right, let me listen to this and see your version of what this world looks like. So then if I can sit there with you and say, okay, this is what this looks like. Do you want my opinion or do you just want me to listen? Because <laughs> yeah. people are just like, no, just listen to me talk about how sucky this day was. Okay. Yep. Most people are like, all right, I can do that. Just say, oh, no, it's not that bad. You know, it, it doesn't feel like it's getting anywhere and it doesn't bring them out on the other side of it. Yeah. Things do suck sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um and I've got a song, I'll link to it. I'm going to be a real nerd about it because it's a beautiful poem about uh, life and death and loss and everything. Um, but one of the lines in it is just, don't forget that sometimes life is hard. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what I love about the song. It's just like, yeah, I need to hear that some days that, yeah, this is tough. Sometimes things do suck and tomorrow they may not anymore. And that's kind of the point um, some days. But on that note, um, unfortunately, many of us in many positions do lose people. There are folks who don't get through um, the world okay, and for their reasons, they choose to complete suicide. And that can leave people around them, uh, even those who didn't know them, feeling very, feeling anything, everything, uh, feeling things that don't make sense. And something that can come up that I think is important to address is they said to me they were tired or they said to me they were burned out. I shoulda. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, uh, if we can talk about that for a minute, the the importance of recognizing should'ves and uh, that kind of language when we're dealing with those types of situations. Yeah, and should've is a tricky one in general, mm-hmm. not just mm-hmm. regarding losing people because hindsight, right? If you had the information that yep. you have now, you would have reacted differently. So you can't judge past you on information that you didn't have. Mm-hmm. So I should have known better. I should have asked. I should have reached out. I should have whatever. Okay. But you didn't have the information to make that decision. Yeah. And if you missed something, then that's okay mm-hmm. too. And it's hard to <laughs> it sit is. with that. It is very hard to sit with that. <laughs> it's hard to sit with somebody saying, You know, yeah, they told me they were tired. They told me they were burned out. Okay, but did they tell you they were thinking of ending their life? Yeah. Right? Because there's a difference between being tired and being burned out. Mm 
and saying, I don't want to be here anymore. Yep. And I think it's also important to remember that we don't know everything and we don't know the depths of feeling or experience. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy and I think very human to try and judge that too. Mm -hmm. um, and both in personal experience and professional in terms of being a reporter and talking with many, many families who have lost uh, through suicide and other uh, very sudden events, there isn't a, an answer that is ever going to really satisfy in most cases when there is loss that we didn't expect or understand. Mm -hmm. Yes. And there's, when it comes to having that information, it's a scary, it's a scary thought. If somebody comes to me and says, you know, I'm, I'm tired, I'm burnt out. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking, oh, you know, maybe I should ask this person if they're thinking of ending their life, mm -hmm. what if they say yes, then what? Yeah. That's a scary thought for people. So there's this taboo about talking about it or asking about it. And, and the person might say no and might still be thinking about it. Would that make you feel any better? Who knows? Yeah. But at the same time, normalizing the conversation within the community a little bit of, okay, I'm hearing that you're in a really dark place right now. Are you at risk of hurting yourself? Are you at risk of trying to complete suicide? Are you at risk of, um, you know, hurting somebody else even? Mm -hmm. um, and asking about it to try to gauge it so that it's not such a taboo subject so that when the person does feel they need help, they're not afraid to ask for it specifically in a way that other people understand. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess finding some of that language sometimes is, is, is scary and overwhelming too, because even in our conversation now talking about completing suicide is language. A lot of people may not be familiar with, but has been chosen um, for a lot of particular reasons. And I think like many other things that we are learning about as we move through this world these days, we're going to find new language as we go and we can't get upset with ourselves for not knowing it beforehand but we can do our best to use language that will be helpful and talking about, you know, do you feel like you might hurt yourself or someone else? It's the kind of question. I mean, I personally, I would think immediately of why would you ever ask me that? Uh, why would I ever ask someone that? But then realizing that's a question we need to ask each other sometimes. And it's okay. Right? It's like, Hey, you fell down. How badly hurt are you? Mm -hmm. Is a question that we'll ask someone when we see them fall down. And that's totally, that's acceptable. Yeah. Right? This feels kind of like an extension of that, right? Like you're in a dark place. How are you doing? Are, do you need help? Do you, are you worried that you need intervention of some kind or that you need a hand or you need a light, like whatever it is. Um, right. And as you said, I think normalizing it and it's, it's hard. It's emotional. I mean, just this conversation, I've had to just sort of, you know, clench my jaw a couple of times and there's been a few tears, but it's it's a thing we need to talk about so it can be talked about more and that's always been my personal little war on uh, let's talk day but now that i'm going to get sued when people <laughs> do want help when people are in a place where they are worried when they think i don't know what tomorrow is when they have deep dark thoughts that feel overwhelming I, I guess, what does it mean to ask for help in those moments? Because again, there, there are crisis intervention lines out there and there are therapies available, but 
if you've not been in a place where that's encouraged or you've seen someone do it or you may just simply not know how it's a language you don't understand yet uh for folks who do feel overwhelmed who do feel they need a lifeline they need something uh are there generalized recommended sort of places from which to seek help there are so there are a number of crisis lines free readily available in the moment 24 hours um we can post some links or phone numbers and stuff like that. Yep. Um, so that's that's one option. There's even text suicide lines, stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that will get you the help that you need immediately. Someone will talk to you if they think that you're in danger um, and that they need to call someone to go check up on you. They will do that. If you feel that you know, maybe that option's not for you. Some people will uh, like take themselves to the hospital and be assessed by a crisis intervention team or a psychiatrist or whoever's on call in an emergency. Um, so that somebody else can also see, okay, where are you at and how much of a danger and is there a way to work with this to keep you safe? In terms of other therapies, if you already have a therapist, then that is a lifeline. Sometimes it's hard to get a hold of your therapist um, I am a therapist. <laughs> I'm not the easiest person to get a hold of outside of, you know, hours, but there, that's why those other resources exist. And I don't yeah. want to um, overgeneralize, I guess, on like what would work for each person, but also I don't want to make it seem like some of these resources are readily available for a lot of people or that they're going to get what they think they need in that moment. So if you show up at the hospital, that you might be in for a bit of a wait, right? And sometimes it takes a while before you get to talk to somebody. Um, It might take a while before you get lined up with a therapist that you like. It might, you might get, reach out to a community counseling place and get put on a wait list. So a lot of these places are backed, backed up a little bit or a lot, depending on where you live and what the resources there are like. Um, so utilizing the ones that are readily available to you or that, you know, you can afford some people just can't pay for mm-hmm. therapy. So they have to wait on the community wait list and that can be a while, um, or they have to go to the hospital or they have to use the crisis lines, but there are a number of resources out there that are readily available. The government and nonprofit agencies are pretty good about um, staffing the crisis lines at the very least pretty well. And there's websites, there's text lines. So in the moment, there's a number of places that you can reach out to. There's also friends. If you're comfortable reaching out to a friend and saying, Hey, I need to get out of my house because I'm having thoughts of hurting myself. I just need to be with another person. Maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe that person says, no, move on to the next person. I think part of the, the skill that people um, forget about is if, if you don't get what you need the first time, keep asking, keep asking for help until you get what you need. I have heard that actually, uh, a number of times, unfortunately, people said, oh, well, I, you know, I called so-and-so or I emailed for this and I didn't hear back. And, uh, and part of that is the, uh, inner privilege that I grew up with, but also the journalist and the ADHD of, okay. And then what'd you do? And then what'd you do? There are very frequently opportunities to engage with someone when you need to, uh, but sometimes you're right. You just you need to try a few times, or 
You know, you call and you get a busy signal. So you call back in five minutes or you ask one friend and they can't today, but they're available tomorrow. Okay. Is there someone you can talk to tonight? You know, someone that you don't know as well or a neighbor or what, what is available to you? And I think, you know, it's, it's hard to, uh, rem- again, it's hard to remember that, I think, ultimately, too. And that's where I think having a therapist that you work with regularly is someone who can help you really identify, as we've kind of been saying this whole time, what's going to work for you, what's going to be effective for you in the moment, what's going to be effective for you in a crisis, and what's going to be effective for you through life. Um, you know, it comes, all of this stuff comes in waves. It comes and it goes when you want it and you don't want it and all of that jazz, uh, and learning what those waves look like for you, learning what tools work for you and don't work for you ultimately is, is in my experience, what helps the most, um, you know, knowing that a run for me will make a significant difference. It's something that I fought against for so long. I used to hate it. And now I just, it just, honestly, it almost throws a switch in my brain sometimes. I just feel better for a few days. Uh, Some people, that's going to be sleeping in all day and then eating ice cream on the couch for four hours. Some people, that's going to be a hot shower. Some people, it's going to be a night in a hotel away from your family. Like, who knows? But talking with someone on a regular basis, I think ultimately, who has the the skills and the training to help you identify that, to help you untangle all of the different things can make the, the, the biggest, longest lasting impact. Mm-hmm. Developing those, those skills to see past the current moment, the skills to see past the hopelessness, the skills to like sit with, mm-hmm. okay, this sucks right now, but maybe it won't suck so much in a week from now. So I mean, I'll let it suck for a little while. The other part too is um, if you have connections and community and you're regularly in touch with friends and whatever, those people are often able to see changes in behavior patterns. So if you're not quite acting Mm -hmm. like yourself, you have a friend that's not acting like themselves, that's a good indicator of like, okay, check in and how bad is it? Yeah. So if, you know, you're very social and all of a sudden, you're bailing on your friends and you're saying, I want to stay home. And that's not like you there's respecting it. There's of course, we talked about like people need breaks and stuff like that. Okay. But if this person's like the first one to get excited and go out and be social and all of a sudden you haven't seen this person in a week. Okay. Well that, that, okay. You know, I haven't seen you in a week. How are you doing? Is everything okay? Are you having thoughts of hurting yourself or someone else? It needs to be part of that conversation mm-hmm. and it's uncomfortable. Those are difficult, uncomfortable conversations to have. But they can be a conversation that changes the entire world for a lot of people. So I think that's, you know, maybe through all of this, it's, it's talking, it's being open about it with the people around us and literally just asking for help some days, just saying, Hey, I'm having a hard day. And then know that there are people around you who will say, okay, well, I can listen or I can help you carry that. Or why don't you put it down and I'll watch it for a while or something that can help. Um, But sometimes it means screwing up your face and being uncomfortable and saying help. Mm -hmm. And that's difficult when you are usually the helper. Yes. When you're the first person to raise your hand and say, let me help you with that. 
If you'd like to connect with Stephanie, please visit her psychologytoday.com profile listing. The link is in the show notes in your podcast player and at defenderradio.com. Links to resources for crisis intervention and other mental health services in Canada are also available in the show notes. I want to thank Steph for sharing her time and expertise with us, and all of you for taking the time to listen and share this episode across your social networks. Until next time, I'm Michael Howie for Defender Radio and the Fur Bears. Thank you for listening.